0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. You're listening to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy. My guest today is the German director, Florian Henkel von Donnersmark. He was just 33 when his first feature film, The Lives of Others, swept the board at the German and European Film Awards before taking home both the Oscar and BAFTA for Best Foreign Language Film in 2007. It seduced audiences with its story of the personal impact of Stasi surveillance in communist East Germany. After this precocious success, L.A. called. His second film was The Tourist, a glossy Hollywood caper with Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie. It didn't please all the critics, but it became a runaway hit, nominated for three Golden Globes and taking in over $270 million at the box office. Now, despite calling L.A. home, he's returned to his German roots and a fascination with the extremes of the 20th century. Never Look Away is a film closely based on the life of the artist Gerhard Richter. Nie Alles was ist schön. It follows our young hero Kurt from his childhood in Dresden in the 1930s through the devastation of war into his afterlife in communist East Germany and then to the physical and creative freedom of escape to the West.
1: Das ist nicht die Erdmasse, die Nachkommen Kann er
0: uns nicht einfach in Ruhe lassen? But it also traces a dark secret, linking extremes of violence and love across thirty formative years of German history. See nicht weg. Nicht weg so this week we're asking: How does a renowned filmmaker today deal with the Third Reich in a new century? I came to an office in central London to talk to Florian Henkel von Donnersmark. Your film opens at the famous, infamous Entartete Kunst degenerate art exhibition put on by the Nazis as a cautionary tale against progressive art. Mm-hmm. Tell us why you started there and how true to life you wanted to make that scene where we were immersed with these pictures.
1: I had been fascinated with that degenerate art exhibit and the absurdity of it from as long as I can remember. I mean, it's really a crazy thing to think that nothing that we show in that exhibit is exaggerated. All these paintings were there. All these painters were represented there. Goebbels had a team that he sent around all the German public museums and pulled out of there all the paintings that did not fit the Nazi ideal of art. And then he picked the ones that he considered the most ridiculous, the most despicable, and presented them to have people laugh at them. And it was a great success, that show. Over two million people came, which would be a hit show, you know, even by today's standards. And many people did come there to laugh about them, but also many people came because they knew it was the last chance to see great art. After this show was put on, it traveled through many different cities. The Nazis organized an impromptu auction in Switzerland that wasn't really well advertised, and there also wasn't that much money to go around. But what wasn't sold there was just burned. So we had to rebuild them, repaint them. We worked with painters and art historians and the archives of, for example, Otto Dix to recreate the big war cripples painting. There was only a little black and white photograph of it left. And so we went back to reports and chemical analyses and tried to find out what did it look like and recreated it. All that for just a little scene of uh, not even five minutes at the beginning of the film. But I really felt like I was building a uh, just a monument to these artists whose work was treated so shamefully there.
0: The artist at the, the center of the film is Gerhard Richter.
1: It's inspired, certainly, by by elements from his his life, but it's a it's a fictionalization.
0: What brought you to the figure of Gerhard Richter in the first place?
1: The initial spark that he had created a beautiful painting based on a picture from his family album of his beautiful young aunt holding him as little boy and explained that this aunt had been murdered by the Nazis because she was schizophrenic. And this is a very haunting portrait to the world, but especially to Germans, because it gives a real face and a beautiful one at that to one of the completely forgotten victims of the, of the NS uh, crimes. Hundreds of thousands of uh, People were murdered because they were considered genetically unfit. And, of course, that number pales in comparison to what was done to people of Jewish background. And therefore, it's a forgotten crime, but it's yet another crime. It was really fascinating when a a journalist from Der Tagesspiegel, when Richter was already in his 70s, found out that the woman that Gerhard Richter ended up marrying after the war was actually the daughter of a high-ranking SS doctor who had himself been in charge of large parts of this eugenics program. That was what fascinated me, just that mm. premise that you can have living under the same roof, within the same family, you know, a victim and a perpetrator, and using the fact that this perpetrator may have caused the actual trauma that propelled him to become an artist in the first place, and now can he use that art to unmask and destroy the perpetrator
0: and the idea of vic- victims perpetrators living side by side is obviously fascinated you yes in a film a film of yours the lives of others were a former film we're going to come and talk about but in this case you'd have thought well this is relatively controversy free but it turns out not so much and some people have found that going back to the Third Reich and making a film about it now has it has brought up sensitivities haven't about the way that it looks the way that it feels did you expect that?
1: As soon as you... I mean, I'm sure it's the same in, in your field in journalism, and I'm sure you've gotten into trouble of your own for things like that. As soon as you don't do things... As the canon expects you to do it, as has been done before, you get in trouble, but it's mostly trouble that only lasts for a little while. So um, explain
0: that kind of trouble to me. Are you well, think about critical you know, response or Gerd Richter's response? He, he wasn't very happy with the end film. Well,
1: you know, I mean, look, I had the same thing on The Lives of Others. You know, it, it, it's just, it was actually interesting when we were nominated for this film for um, uh, Academy Awards. I was on uh, several panel discussions with uh, the other foreign language film directors. Now they call them international film directors. And all these directors had the same story, that it's just if something uh, you know, becomes a little too big for a country that isn't America, you know? I mean, America is the only country that doesn't mind if things get big, you know? <laughs>
0: But a lot of the sensibilities, and in a way I hadn't expected this, so I watched the film and then I read a lot of the German uh, sort of critics and essays around it, were, in a way, the sort of East Germany, perhaps because of East Germany disappeared sort of one side kind of in inverted commas one but in this case where it's so big and and the loss of life and the trauma was so great that it seemed to almost if you make it look a certain way you were accused of some of some people making it look too beautiful you were accused by some other people of stylizing yeah, violence
1: yeah. it's a natural human mechanism and i don't you know i don't mind it i've lived through it on the lives of others there i fretted about it more and got like really upset and angry if someone wrote this or that and after a while you just accept that you know no matter what you do you will get attacked the only way you don't get attacked is if you're constantly circumspect and scared and oh my goodness what do th- people think but then you have a miserable life and are most likely going to create miserable work and again
0: <laughs> i don't like the film i don't like oh, the person no, i assume no. he
1: means you yeah well I mean, hard, the Gerhard, well no i mean you you know, I suppose it's a certain type of portrait, the film, but, you know, you'd be a lousy artist if you made a portrait to, you know, flatter the or please the person who's, who you're making a portrait of. Or you're if you're a super, super anxious, hyper-realistic painter, you know, if you're Franz Sava Winterhalter, yes, then, you know, you're upset if the queen doesn't like your portrait and you're so happy when Queen Victoria says, oh, I've never looked more beautiful. But if you're Lucian Freud and you do a portrait of the Queen and she thinks, oh my goodness, I don't look that bad. And he says, well, look, that's how I see you. You know, who cares? That's not why I do it. I don't do it to be made CBE or something. Politeness is the death of art. And Gerhard Richter is someone who understands that very well. I mean, his art is the least polite you can imagine he did a picture of a tourist being torn to shreds by a lion now how do you think his that that tourist family felt about that you know but he doesn't care and rightly so because it's part of art to hurt people you know I'll tell you one thing that I was most fascinated by by the whole Gerhard Richter thing it's not possible to involve someone more um in a movie, short of making it you know something authorized, like uh you know a polite picture about uh you know the band Queen making Brian May look really, really good and nice or or, or you know or uh, you know a, a heroic biopic about ruth uh uh, Bader Ginsburg, uh, you know where everything is authorized by her, and you know her only fault is just caring too damn much about women. I find that type of film terrible it 's still an incredible trick um, that Richter pulled <laughs> being involved from every step you know I even went to I even went to when I was done with the script just so he wouldn 't be surprised by anything. I went to read it to him every single step we were in constant contact and then making it appear as if this was somehow done against his will, I mean, that's just a, that's just a PR genius, you know? Because, of course, it's mu- how much cooler would it be if Brian May now said, you know what, you idiots, you don't know how cool our queen life was. This doesn't even begin to tell the story. Piss off. That would be badass rock star, right? I mean, that would be impressive. And I think Richter knows that, so I think it was a little bit of that. was a bit
0: let, let, let's talk a little bit more about the, about the film and then I'd just like to uh, sure. dive into, into what, what you feel more, more broadly you, you've been reflecting in your work mm. in the last 20 years or, or, or so Th- this exhibition we, we meet our young hero I think we can call him that within the context uh, Kurt being taken to see the exhibition uh, the plot is is going to wind on through the Third Reich and through it, its horrors as lived close at hand by this family and the tension and also, in some senses, affinities between victims and perpetrators. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't uh, seek revenge, or he doesn't seem, really, to seek revenge, or even reckoning. Now, that's really interesting to me in the film, because the whole idea of so-called or the conquering of the past, seemed, or coming to terms with the past, depending how you translate it, seemed to have this idea that justice should come. That's not the way you've gone here, and to an extent, the perpetrators get away with it.
1: I think that the perpetrators get destroyed in a more thorough way than if you you know, threw them in prison in Spandau and allowed them to take some kind of sacrificial pose. I think they're punished by the artist taking away, in this case, this Nazi doctor's sense of identity, his sense of certainty. He completely underestimates this... Weekly, not particularly healthy not particularly intelligent by IQ points uh, son-in-law and at the end of the day he is the one who unmasks him who shows him his true colors who discovers it all I think that shatters him in his sense of how the world works I always find that it's you know an extreme victory for Kurt to in a way change him in that way you know I think not wanting the physical revenge, not wanting someone to come and carve a swastika into his forehead, you know, and all that, as, say, Quentin Tarantino would do it, comes from somehow looking at history and realizing that that's not how it goes down. People do manage to escape. The very abilities that allow these terrible people to rise to the top in a monstrous regime like the Nazi regime will allow them to survive in the next regime. They have a kind of survival instinct. And it is of course it's great if there are people who mm. bring them to justice, but we cannot let them win mm. by by letting it destroy our lives that we have not managed to bring them to justice. And you know, I was almost there a little bit as a child because so I was eight years old when we returned from New York to Berlin. Yeah I was going to ask you about your yeah.
0: your own family who've obviously you know, you're deeply rooted in German history. Big German yeah. family name. You lived outside as a small child, but yes. so you came back at uh, yeah. eight. At and, uh, age eight, yes. Yeah.
1: It was something, that was the first time that we really got, you know, became confronted with the. Uh, Nazi history, and to a child at that age, it seems you know unthinkable. But you, you know, we were we lived in Berlin, and you know, we we saw this the, the wall every day walking to school, and then you start asking questions: What's this wall? Why this separation? You know, and it quickly gets you back to those Nazi chapters, which led to all this. You know, if if I had lived my life backwards from 1973, I'd be well outside of World War II by now. It is all pretty recent. Um, and one thing that I really internalized was that Kohl's idea, where he said, you know, we are so lucky that we were born late, die Gnade der Späten Geburt, the grace of the late, late birth. is the yeah. for, for former German serving. Chancellor yeah. Helmut Kohl. Former German Chancellor Helmut Kohl. I remember my grandparents saying, you know what, that's, it's not, it's not true. It's not that by some wonderful coincidence, we happen not to become murderers and violators of human rights and so on. The people who were monsters between 1933 and 1945 were monsters before 33 and remained monsters after 45. And once you've kind of understood that, it gives you a different way of looking at the world when there was a teacher who behaved terribly in school and he was old we automatically our minds went there what did this guy do during the nazi age how did he behave towards jewish students you know if if there was you know if there was a hint of that and it's not a healthy way of looking at the world because you get into a kind of revenge mode and i think that the best revenge is by it's not so much of the you know kind of living well that seems so materialistic but living The things that people who do the bad stuff cannot live, love, friendship, understanding, you know, tolerance, these are all things that give us great joy. They don't have that.
0: Let's talk about the mm-hmm. the other uh, regime on German soil in the late 20th century, which still leaves its, its traces in the Germany today. And it's a shared interest that we both have, mm-hmm. and that's the old East Germany. Yeah, um, you've,
1: written, you've written about it extensively. Yeah. I have, yes. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I
0: think we established at one point that we had researched at around the same time, yes. possibly in the in, in the, the,
1: hum- uh, in the archives also, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah no, and at the and hum, and Humboldt. And I was at the Humboldt
0: yeah, yeah, in yeah. 1986 to 87. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's obviously the the year, I'd like to think it was just because I was there, but unfortunately it wasn't, uh-huh. when you set your very famous film, The Lives uh, of Others. And there are obviously, yeah, there are so many differences, but the, clearly there are commonalities. It's interesting that you started with the later regime and went back to the mm. Third Reich. Uh, Do you think there are reasons for that, other than just your own filmography and what you were interested in?
1: Well, I kind of hoped that I would be the one German filmmaker who would never make a film that touched the Third Reich, (laughs) because it's just something that has been, in a way, done to death. And it seems like you've seen every facet of it. But it's about maybe a quarter or so of this movie is set in the Third Reich because it was necessary to explain how things happened. I mean it was a seminal moment in German history and anybody who tries to make it seem any less than that is, is, is just wrong because it's something that we live with on a daily basis in Germany. You cannot spend a day without being reminded in all consequences of the war, of the crimes, of the incredible guilt that Germany heaped upon itself and, and it had to be you know it, this is a journey of healing, of self-healing of one artist you have to address that.
0: Does that still apply in the same way? And your film was, I think, really a seismic event in the, the treatment of the old East Germany. In a way, I had left there a couple of years after unification, and there was a feeling of, let bygones be bygones, let people who are affected go and sort of rattle around in the Stasi archives. Well, let's not, do we have to keep stirring it up? And we heard this a lot, not surprisingly, from East Germans, but perhaps from society as a whole, and I think your film really changed that. Do you think it had a lasting effect? And when you look now and go back to your home country. Do you still see those traces of of division? Or do you think this is really a post-war world as well as a post-war one?
1: It's hard for me to answer because, I mean, Germany has now uh, has such a whole new set of problems. uh, And its identity has been changed so massively over the past years that maybe these issues are not so much on the forefront. But I do think that, for example, the fact that Germany, for instance, took in these millions of fugitives, immigrants, uh, had very directly to do, obviously, with the Nazi regime. I mean, there would be no other...
0: This is the Angela Merkel in 2016, big wave of refugees. And it
1: has also very much to do with atoning for a guilt and saying, you know, Germany has to be a place that anyone can flee. And going so far as to say... If it changes the country and fundamentally changes the identity, where is the harm in that? Because the country still hasn't reconciled itself with is that its that your identity. Own view? That, that, I think, is my view of what the view of the country in its totality is.
0: Some people would say, and not only those arguing on a, a sort of anti immigration right wing platform, that it has, has caused considerable difficulties for Germany and may still do so in terms of a backlash.
1: The immigrant cri- crisis was and is an opportunity for Europe to prove itself as a political entity. The European Union was founded um, in large part to prevent Germany from acting on its own, um, by itself. And now, in the first major crisis that Europe faces, Germany, represented by one leader, does exactly that. Ignores all these massive alliances that have been forged and does something completely by itself, thereby massively destabilizing the European cohesion. I mean, you know, it's not very far-fetched to say that even the British uh, reaction has to do with the immigration situation. I think if it had been approached as a European thing, Europe could have become much stronger, as it is because of Germany having this thing of thinking that we always know best. And even here, we were so much more humanitarian, we're so much better, we're so much... You know, the mistake, I think, in Germany is believing that if a new political extreme crisis comes about, it'll look exactly like the old one.
0: Florian Engel von Donnersmark, thank you very much for joining us. Okay,
1: thank you, Anne. It was great speaking with you, as always.
0: And we'd love to know what you think. Can filmmakers take liberties with the historical record? And does great art always come from great trauma? Write to us, radio at economist.com, or you can tweet us at Economist Radio. You can also subscribe at economist.com slash radio offer, 12 issues for £12 or $12. I'm Anne McElvoy, and in London, this is The Economist.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.